Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theatre podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theatre in Calgary and the surrounding area. I'm Kyle Gould, and today I have a very special interview for you. From Blairmore, Alberta, Louis B. Hobson got his Bachelor's of Education focused on English, drama, and philosophy from the University of Alberta, Edmonton, in 1967. It's important to note that because at that time there was University of Alberta, Calgary as well. So it's really important to make that distinction before it became the University of Calgary a couple years later where he got his degree then and then went on to work as a drama and English teacher in Calgary until 1987. In 1980, Louis was hired at the Calgary Sun as a theater critic. And while we'd say the rest is history, no, Louis is a reporter, writer, director, and actor, and professional audiobook reader, (laughs) and amongst a million other things. Louis' connections to community theater stretches back almost 50 years, and is a six-time Cat Award nominee, receiving one for his adaptation of Murder at Rillington Place with Workshop in 2009, with close to 700 articles on theater over the years, by my very small count, which could very well be much bigger than what I was able to find just on the internet, Louis has borne witness to more of the arts in Calgary than anyone else in the city. Louis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kyle. So how did you get your start in community theater? When I was teaching at um, Western Canada High School. Okay. And uh, we used to do three or four big plays a year, plus musicals. Right. It was with Jim Beer that I used to do the musicals. And... One of my students was Jennifer Higgin, and her mother ran Calgary Theater Singers. Okay. Okay. And so uh, Eileen Higgin came to me and said, I want you to direct The King and I for my group. Wow. So that was the start. Uh, I directed The King and I for her, and then five or six other big musicals at the Jubilee for Calgary Theatre Singers. And one of those other ones was uh, My Fair Lady. And in the cast playing Alfie P. Doolittle was Jack Goth. And Jack came to me after the after party for My Fair Lady, and he said, Louis, I'm starting a new group called Workshop Theatre. Wow. And he said, and the first production I want to do is Agatha Christie's Witness for the Prosecution. Right, which you then directed in 2015, is that correct? Again, yes. Yeah. But I directed it for him as their opening production. Yeah. So you've directed it twice. Uh, actually, three times. Three times, but, yes. but with Workshop with twice. With Workshop twice, yeah. And almost 50 years apart. Yes. It, in fact, it was wow. 50 years apart because it was used for the 50th anniversary of Workshop. Yes. That's amazing. So you've been with Workshop a great deal. What other theater companies, community theater companies and whatnot in Calgary have you done work with over the years? I had several of my own companies, Kyle. Uh, Casino Productions, Gamut Productions, um, and I worked with them. I did a, a great deal of work on my own with Valerie Pearson put together Gamut Productions. We did the first dinner theaters here in Calgary. And we used to have have them at the Glencoe Club. And we used to have a three or four day run uh, of these plays. And then the Winter Club came to us and said, when you're finished the Glencoe, would you bring it here? And then the Elks Club came and said, would you bring it to us? And then the Petroleum Club. And pretty soon we had a real circuit going of dinner theater. That's amazing. And that... That predated Stage West. I don't doubt. I mean, it sounds like it does. But it predates, there's a lot of things that came before that too. So that was your first taste of community theater in Calgary. I want to go back to Blairmore and the Orpheum Theater there. (laughs) Is that where your first touch of theater ever occurred for you? But that was a movie theater. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yes, I lived in that theater. Yeah. Um, Joe Dobeck ran it. And uh, I loved movies, absolutely loved them. And so he would say to my mom, okay, as long as Louis goes one time and pays for it, then he can come as many other times as long as the movie is running. 
So there are ones wow. that I used to watch the whole time they were there if I really liked a movie. What brought you back? Well, I loved horror movies. I, I was hooked on them. So anything that had suspense or thrills or horror, I definitely kept going back to those. That's amazing. And your mom was, of course, very supportive of this. Yes. Uh, she didn't like my necessarily my choice of movies. Right. But yes, she was very supportive. And whenever we came to Calgary, that was a big thing. Right. Okay, because then there were all these different movies I could go to. And we came once, and it was West Side Story. Oh, uh, wow. Yes. And so my mom... Uh, About what year is this? How old were you then? Oh, th this would have been in the 60s. So I was a teenager, definitely, by then. And they went off shopping, and I, I was supposed to meet them outside the theater. And when they came back... I wasn't there. <laughs> so they got really quite worried. And finally, they talked to the projection of or the, the manager and then he talked to it and they stopped the movie. Oh my goodness. And my parents were allowed to look for me. And sure enough, there I was <laughs> watching it again. And it was, it's you still never, one of my absent. No, I, I was blown away by West Side Story. Wow. So if it wasn't a horror movie, I love musicals. That's incredible. In 2021, you were recognized as one of Calgary's top seven over 70. What was receiving that honor like? It came out of the blue. I, I, I had no idea. It was really wonderful because when I was 23 years old and teaching it uh, and doing the, the community theater, I received the Young Calgarian of, of the Year Award. Oh, wow. So, yes. So from 23 to 70... It was amazing. I got almost the same award. <laughs> I guess, right? Yes. Yeah. But at that at, at that age with those other luminaries in in Calgary, did you feel like what was the the, the pomp and circumstance of it? Is was it was it truly a special well, time? You know, and Kyle, this is going to see sound really cliched, but it was surreal. Yeah. It was totally surreal. It was happening. There was yeah. the big, in fact, we had three tables for me, but it didn't sink in. Right. It, it really did not sink in that this was happening. And it really didn't sink in until weeks afterwards when I went, whoa, you know, that was an unbelievable honor. Absolutely. This, yeah. Especially given the crowd I was in. Right. So, yes. Oh, I've seen the other names that they're, yes. they're big figures yeah. in Calgary and, and you're right there amongst them. And to me, you always have been. I mean, I've only been involved in community theater for 10 years, but your name has been there as one I've known ever since I started in community theater. So there's that too. I have some rapid fire questions for you sure. that I wanted to go with. They're just either ors. So just short, quick answers. And, uh, and people who are listening can play along at home too and see how they line up with you. Musicals or plays? Plays. Drama or comedy? Drama. A great set or great lights? Oh, great set. <laughs> Multimedia, for or against it on stage? The less, the better. The less, the better. For or against snacks in the theater? I like eating them, so I guess let it bring it on. Favorite it, snack in the theater? Um, Twizzlers. Twizzlers, that's a great choice. Adaptations or original works? I love original works. I, I, I love tackling something new. Yes. Would you rather have a great producer or a great stage manager? <laughs> Half of each. <laughs> <laughs> I want them both, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. A small intimate theater or a large auditorium? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you had to pick? If I had to pick, I'd probably do the smallest theater. Yeah. Depends on what, also depends on what it is. What right? it is. Yes. Yeah. If you're directing a musical, you'd better have a bigger theater. Well, it depends on the musical, but I agreed for most of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Would you rather write or direct? I'd like to direct what I write. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That ends all of my rapid fire questions. Why is community theater important and what does it mean to you? I've always believed that community theater is vital because it's the root. If you develop really good audiences in community theater, they will be drawn to professional theater. 
Yeah. And of course, if you get people working in community theater as actors or stage managers or set builders or costume people, any of that, they will be drawn to professional theater because they'll want to see how their work uh, translates right. to professional theater. So I think if you don't have a really strong amateur community theater, it really is harmful for professional theater. And there was a time when Calgary had the biggest and most productive and most enthusiastic community theater anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. I think we're seeing a bit of a new wave of that in recent years. I hope so. With so many new companies coming out of the woodwork post-COVID, so many opportunities for new shows and new productions to be done. I don't know if enough is being done from a, a city level to support and build that, but it's definitely and it happening. Isn't. You hit upon something that's very important. that The city doesn't seem to realize how important community theater is. And we see that in how expensive the the theaters themselves, the rentals are. And of course, I understand it from the point of view that you can't have a building that needs heat and lighting and taxes and all those things. Maintenance, yeah. Unless the money comes in to support it. Right. But so much of that money is going to the professional theaters yes. and not dwindling down. Or new sporting arenas. Or new sporting arenas, <laughs> yes. Which, that's my biggest beef there. Well, is that, uh, and what they don't realize is that the number of people who go to live theater in Calgary is almost the same as the number of people who go to sports. Yes. I'd be say it's bigger, actually. Because, well, it could be, yes. Because, again, like with theater, it is the same people who are going, right? So it's the same thing with sports people. It's the same people who constantly go back and support the Flames. Yep, or the Stampeders. Or the Stampeders. Or the Roughnecks. Right. Or the Hitmen. I mean, there, there's right. enough. Right, and it's and not necessarily great, uh, the same people supporting every single one of those right? companies. Yeah. So they have to look at that too, that the, there's people who are supporting Vertigo Theater, uh, Alberta Theater Projects, Theater Calgary, Stage West, which everybody rolls their eyes, but that's an enormous audience. Same with Jubilations. Enormous yeah, audience. Enormous People audience. roll their eyes. Yeah. I don't know why. You, you're getting great entertainment and a dinner at a reasonable rate. And, and the same can be said of community theater as well. When you're looking at the tinier companies like your front row centers and your Morpheus theaters and your Scorpios that are out there trying to get even a hundred people to come see a show on a night, they're putting out something that is just as valuable in an entertainment uh, uh, fashion absolutely as any of the other things valuable. you could do. Absolutely. If you're going to spend $300 on a Flames ticket, you could spend $20 on a ticket to an FRC show or to a Morpheus show or to an Imagine Players show. And I guarantee you, you will have 10 times the entertainment and memories that you'll have than you would have had from that Flames game. Yes. And also with that is that your dollar is well spent. So... Again, everybody's talking about how they have to watch their entertainment dollar. Right. But a play, a live play in community theater is not that much more expensive than a movie. No, I'd say it's comparable these days. So if so, you're getting yeah. the snacks as well. Yeah. Well, yes. If you, <laughs> you buy popcorn and then you're up the, at the 50 bucks. Yes. Absolutely. So what would help community theater grow in Calgary? You've been around forever. You're probably the wisest person to ask. Well, I still think, and, and this is what Eileen Higgins said to me 50 years ago. Right. Louis, the play is the thing. I think Shakespeare said that somewhere yes. along the line too. And what she meant was be very careful about trying to educate people, trying to say you should see this play, okay, where what you should be sitting when you're sitting down planning your season is saying, what is it that people want to see now? 
Yeah. Okay? And I think that we've learned, especially in community theater, they want to laugh right now. We've been through a couple of really solemn years. Yes. So comedies are going to draw a little bit better than drama. Yes. And that, I mean, that's true in the movies as well. Yes. When they say that, you know, when the economy hits a recession and when tr times are troublesome, that's when people go to the movies. Right. Because they want to escape. They want that moment away that you know, ticket sales go up when they're, you're in a recession. You'd think it'd be the other way around, but people skimp and save their hard-earned dollars for those brief moments of life and joy to flicker I, in front of them. I remember when I did a an interview in London, England once, and I, I asked a, a very successful producer. He had three or four of his own theaters, not his own theater companies, his own theaters. I said, what is you know, the, the secret of your success. That He said, look, he said, from time immemorial, if you're not getting bums in the seats with what you're producing, do a sex farce or a murder mystery, and you will get them back in. And then you can branch out and do yep. something else. Yeah, once you've gotten them there a couple of times, you can give them something to think about. And, and yes, and that's what he was saying is you give them the meat and potatoes kind of theater, the thing that people like. I know that that was certainly was Jack Goth's. Remember, he used to do You're Too Young. But when Workshop first started, they did the British sex comedies and the, all the, the murder mysteries. Yep. And then they started branching out and doing more serious plays. That's fine, but don't do a full season of serious. of serious plays. Yeah. And if you're going to do the serious ones, I suggest you do them in the Joyce Doodle as opposed to the the Victor Mitchell because it's difficult to drag to get enough of the people there. in there That's to right. make it worth your while. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of this, in your work with the media, you've gotten to meet a lot of amazing people. <laughs> Sir Ian McKellen, Michael Douglas. Is it true that Maggie Smith timed your interview with her? And are there any other memorable moments you've had with celebrity? It is definitely true about Maggie Smith. Uh, I was writing for the Albertan at the time. Mm -hmm. And I got to know one or two uh, of the publicists over there, and they would, you know, my first couple of years, they got me interviews with certain people. And we always sent them the tear sheets, and, and then it just grew. And I could literally, Kyle, I, I was spoiled. I could ask for anybody, and I never got turned down wow. for anyone. So Maggie Smith was doing a play, and I asked for her, and they said yes, and I turned up at the theater, and what they usually liked to do was that they would uh, ask you to see the matinee of whatever they were doing, and then talk to them afterwards, which would be between their matinee performance and their evening performance. Right, okay? well, that makes sense. Yeah, so I saw her play and came back and came in, and uh, she was very gracious, and she said, how long would you like? And I said, oh, 15 or 20 minutes. She said, which one? <laughs> I said, 20? And she took an egg timer and she turned it to the 20. She put it down and I started. And there wasn't a single question which she didn't answer. Right. And she was so good. And it was so much fun. That thing went ding, yeah. and she stood up and said, thank you very much, it was pleasant to meet you. And she walked to wow. the door and opened what if the you'd door. said an hour? Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think she just said, are you joking? <laughs> Maybe, you'll never know. I'll but never know. What's great is that she set expectations yeah. for what the, what the interview would be yeah. and made sure that you valued your time and she valued your time when you were there. That's incredible. I, um, I wanted to talk to Roger Reese. Okay. He had done Nicholas Nickleby. And that was that six-hour production, okay? And they used to do for act one certain days, act two others. And then on the Sunday, they, you could see one in the afternoon and one in the evening. And it had been an enormous success both in London and New York. 
So he was doing something else. He was doing a stoppered play. And so I, I wanted to talk to him. And again, he, he said, talk to me after, or his agent said, talk to me after the, the, uh, the matinee. So I went into the stage door and the stage doorman brought me in and into his uh, dressing room. And I'm sitting there and I realize the shower is running. <laughs> and I am coughing and coughing just so that he realizes there's someone in that room. And he did come out, thank heaven, with the towel around him. But yeah. he was there dripping wet. And he... He did the interview drying off and the hairdryer blowing his hair. He was absolutely wonderful. And I said to him, it must have been really exciting for you to get this Nicholas Nickleby role when you were so young. And he said, I beg your pardon? You know, and I'm looking <laughs> at this man who doesn't look more than 30. I mean, that would have been stretching it. And he was 50 years old. Wow. Yeah. And I said to him, wow, you must have a painting in the closet. Right. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, oh, I came out of the closet a, a long, long time ago. <laughs> and he was just so gracious and wonderful. You know, we sent him the thing afterwards. And then he wrote a play wow. called Double Double which he then did several years later. And I get this letter in the mail with an invitation in it from him to come and see the play in London. Wow. And, yeah, yeah. and did you? I, absolutely, yes. I mean, I didn't leave that day, right. but that, <laughs> that summer when I went again, I did. And I gave this front of house person my card and said, you know, asked for me to come and see this. She comes back after and she says, he said, don't go anywhere after. And we went out for several beer after the thing. That's, that's amazing. That's the kind of people th they were. Yes. And my Ian McKellen one is even better. Oh, really? Well, tell me all about Sir Ian McKellen. He, he was doing Bent, all right? And... Uh, it, it, it that's the play about the uh, treatment of homosexuals in Nazi Germany. Yep. So I went to see the play, and I had arranged with his agent to talk to him again after the play. Only that one I saw it in, in the evening. Okay. So after the show was over, I went and I waited and I waited and I waited. No Ian and no Ian. Oh no, at least 40, 45 minutes. And finally, oh, wow. the stage manager at the door came and said, uh, why are you standing here? You know, And I said, I'm supposed to meet with Mr. McKellen. And he said, oh, he left a long time ago. Oh, no. Yes. So anyway, I went back to my hotel. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, there was a bed and breakfast hotel, and this knocking on my door. <laughs> they were not happy to have been woken up. And they said, there's somebody on the phone that insists on talking to you now. Wow. So I went to the phone, and I said, yes. And he said, this is Ian McKellen. He said, I'm so sorry, I missed you, I'm so sorry. I said, that, that's fine. He said, no, it's not fine. He said, I forgot all about it, and some friends of mine came, and we went out through the, side the theater. Yeah. yeah. So he said, but I'll talk to you before the matinee tomorrow. Wow. Well, it was actually today now. Yeah. So I said, sure, okay, fine. So I go to the front of the theater. And he said, meet me at the front of the theater. So I go and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And this enormous motorbike arrives with somebody in full leather with the big helmet and all the rest. Yeah. And the door opens and out comes the stage manager. And it's Ian on, on the motorbike. So wow. he takes off his helmet and he gives it to the guy and the guy wheels his motorbike into the backstage and so ian's apologizing and apologizing and he took out of his saddlebags two bottles of champagne and he put one under each arm and he's holding it like this and he says to me he says I, this has become a tradition with me uh, if the play is good and we get good reviews i have champagne every night for the cast he says if it's a mediocre play or we got really bad reviews, he said, I, I bring plunk 
He said, but we always drink something after every performance. And as he's talking, and I see it happening, he grabs the, you know, the, the big steel doors, the ones that, the sound doors, and he's talking and he pulls it right into his forehead. Oh, no. Oh, yes. And boom, he hits himself. And the bottles go flying across the, the floor. Thank God they didn't break. They're spinning around oh, and good. spinning around. And I learned a whole bunch of new words at that moment, <laughs> let me tell you. And so finally he's, he's going and he, uh, I went and grabbed the, the bottles and I'm holding them and he said, is it bad? Is it bad? And I'm looking and I'm thinking, oh boy, is it going to be bad? So he s said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, well, it, it'll be okay for you know most of the play because you're in the concentration camp, right? <laughs> but it's just the beginning. But I said, my grandmother used to say, to, to avoid uh, a black eye and to uh, you put a steak, yep, a raw steak, on your eye. He said, "I've never heard that. I've never heard that." He calls the stage manager and he says, "Go across the street to that restaurant and get me a steak." <laughs> <laughs> now, if this was before cell phones. Right. I could have had a picture that I could have sold the world over because there's Ian McKellen, Sir Ian, he wasn't Sir Ian then, lying on his couch with a stake over his face answering questions. That is amazing. And it leads me to ask, how has reporting changed over the last 40 years for arts and entertainment in Calgary? It is decreasing, there's no question. Right? And that's because of the internet. Because so many people have their own, you know, their opinion yeah. pieces all over the place. Yep. And so it's made it more and more difficult to get to the talent. And they never, I don't think, really enjoyed doing interviews. Most of them were very gracious. Not all of them. Tommy Lee Jones lets you know that he didn't want yeah, to do not, interviews. Yeah, he's not a big fan of people you know, in general. No, not at all. But so now what they want to do is that they want to do Zoom, right? So they'll have what you're doing here only with cameras, yep. right? And so the journalists can submit questions and they somebody will read them to them and they'll answer them. It's not like... Quote, it's never unquote, a conversation. The good old days yeah. when we cornered them. You know, right. When I started out doing the junkets for the Calgary Sun, they were amazing because you got all the, that incredible talent. And you had what was called the round tables. And you'd go to the, the big hotels and they would have different rooms down in one corridor. And there'd be literally a round table in each room and there would be eight chairs around it and then a nice more comfortable chair for the talent mm -hmm. and they would come and sit in the chair and you'd get 20 minutes your table would get 20 minutes with the talent and wow yes uh, and we had over the years we created our own table and People used to call us the cabal. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And they said it was like junior high school at the lunchroom. You know, they somebody would try to come in the door and we go, no, no, no. You can't. Right. <laughs> we wouldn't let them into our table. And yeah, we if you've only got 20 minutes, you can only ask so many questions. Yes. And also, we wouldn't let anybody that was radio or internet because then our answers would be everywhere before we got a chance to do to them. write them yeah. yeah so we were not a very popular group on the junket circuit that's but, fine i mean there's other tables and the ta um, after the you know and i mean you know this that certain actors are doing so many pictures right and they would come and they'd sit down and they go 
oh, not you guys. You know, oh, no. They, oh, yes. They knew us. Oh, yeah. Is but it because they, of the types of questions you well, asked? Well, actually, they actually liked us. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah because we joke a lot. But Cindy would be sitting here, and she would tell them how wonderful they looked and how, you know, and then somebody else and all the easy questions. And then where you're sitting was our friend Stephen Schaefer from New York. Okay. And while we were laughing and joking with them, he would throw in a real Singer. It sounds like you've been fighting with the producer on the yeah, set. Exactly. Can you tell me about that? Because yeah. yeah, we and we would feed him yeah. that information. So you would gather Be, the people would gather and time. say, somebody has to ask this. You've only got twenty minutes, and there's seven exactly. of you at the table. You need to coordinate uh, and your questions. Cindy wrote for People Magazine and Us and all those magazines, and they would say to her, "Okay, for the February issue, we want Valentine's." Okay, so. For ask what their worst Valentine Day was. That was one of her assignments. Absolutely. And every single talent we got, she'd ask. You know, they'd. You know, I didn't get any cards. You know, the the Snoopy thing, the yeah. the Charlie Brown thing, and we had Sandra Bullock, and she laughed and she said, "Well, she said I was dating somebody." And she said, I rented us a cabin and I went ahead of the time and I had the champagne and the oysters and the chocolates. And she said, I bought all these roses and pulled all the petals off. And from the door to the bed, I spread them all over and then threw on top of the bed all these things. And he came in and he said, I hate to tell you this, but I think we should break up. On Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day. I, okay. I have to tell you, Sandra Bullock is one of the most talented comedic actors of all time, in but, my opinion. And you see, and she did this... Without uh, uh, having ever done any stand-up comedy. Yeah. Uh, but And she told us this yeah. with exactly what you said. It was just so much fun. Right? Okay. She leads a you month? on a merry story. Oh, no. This, oh. Is, this is only the beginning. A month later... We had Matthew McConaughey. Oh, goodness. And they had dated. And Stephen said, Matthew, uh, Sandra told us about how you broke up with her <laughs> on Valentine's Day. And he said, she did not. Don't be foolish. And Stephen says, she did. She told us about the oysters and the petals. And, the, and he said, she did. And that's all he had to say. And that's he looked at us and he went, Oh, you bastards. Wow. Wow. Smart of Steven to put that together. Yeah, but, but again, Matthew was very good about it. Oh, yes. And that, yeah. And then he said, I'll give you my side of the story. I mean, it was gold yep. as far as us journalists went. I mean, where do you get something you like You don't get that? anything like you know, that, unless you're, in these days. unless you're interviewing Angelina Jolie, right. and there's no filters, absolutely no Ever. filters on that woman. No. No. Her dad taught her well. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't think he had any filters either. <laughs> That's incredible. So speaking of how reviewing has changed, to go back to that, and the, the, the basically the dawn of the opinion piece, um, Roger Ebert always said that, you know, when everybody's got an opinion, there's no value to any opinion. And he always fought and railed against Rotten Tomatoes and, and how it exists and whatnot. There, there really hasn't ever been much in the way of reviews or professional criticism in regards to community theater in Calgary, except for yourself. And there's a reason, Kyle. There's a reason. And that's actually how I got into reviewing theater, actually. That makes perfect um, sense. You start it's in it's community a good theater story. Every, well, in all ways. I, I forgot this until you brought this up. I was, as I said, directing for workshop theater and things like that, and nobody was reviewing. Right. So I wrote a letter to the publisher of the Calgary Herald and one to the publisher of the Albertan and said exactly what we're talking about now. Community theater is very important. It should be be reviewed. It shouldn't be ignored. Yep. The Herald ignored us, ignored that letter. But the publisher of the Albertan did not. And he said, I'm going to send my entertainment editor to see you, Ruth McKinnon. But he said, the reason, Mr. Hobson, is because it gets very tricky with community theater. They want to be reviewed, but only if you have good things 
to say about them. Yeah. And he said, sometimes we've, when we've sent somebody out and they've given a negative review, we get tons of letters. Yeah. And we get really angry letters from mothers and sisters and husbands and wives and that kind of thing. He said, Absolutely. Yeah. So he said, why don't you put your pen where your mouth is? Yep. He said, come and review community theater for us. Wow. And That's I said, I took. but I'm directing. He said, well, don't review your own, of course. <laughs> I said, you don't find that a conflict of interest? He said, if you don't find it a conflict of interest, we won't. And he said, we'll support you when the barrage of uh, negative criticism comes. So how did you approach that for community theater? Because I felt like you need to be a bit more kids glove, white glove service to community theater than you would necessarily to professional theater. Everybody up there is getting paid. Everybody up there is is putting forth what is considered to be a professional experience. Yes. And for community theater, that's that's not often the case. And you should maybe overlook the, the weaker guy on stage because that's who they could get and when they got him. Some very incredible people taught me some very incredible things when I started reviewing. Great. Who, who, who are these people? What did they tell well, you? Well, W.O. Mitchell, for yeah. one, because his play, a play he wrote that they were doing for children's theater at Alberta Theater Projects out in uh, Heritage Park, okay. in, in the Canmore Opera House there. Yeah. His was the first one. And I mean, I sweated bullets because I took a course from him. So he knew who I was. Yeah. So I wrote my review and he gave me a phone call. Wow. Said, Why don't you come over for a drink of wine? And I thought, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so I went over and he said, Louis, you told too much of the plot. Mm. Okay. He said, look at it. You've told almost everything. Right. He said, that's useless. Because with somebody who has seen the play Already is going it. to skip that. They they yep. don't want to do that. They, they they've seen it. Yep. And someone who's coming to see the play doesn't want to know all of that because there's no surprises left. Exactly. And, and you know, wow. And that is a really good piece of advice. Joyce Doolittle was another one. I wrote a review of something that was at the university, and the actress had a space between her two front teeth. Right. And I said in my review, her gap-toothed grin. Oh, no. I didn't think anything of it. No. Joyce Doolittle said, Louis, never make a comment about something that an actor can't, can't do anything about. Do anything about. She says, don't zero in on any physicality. Right. A fantastic yep. choice. Put that yeah. on your list of things not to do and things to do. Yeah, that's great. And then one summer I took a course from an incredible woman who you won't know who I'm talking about because you're way too young, <laughs> Mildred Dunnick. Okay. okay. She was an actress. She originated the role of Willie Loman's wife on Broadway. Okay? Oh, wow. But to me, she did something even greater. She played Elizabeth Taylor's mother in Butterfly Day. <laughs> yep. So that made I me, mean, Elizabeth Taylor, uh, you know, there was nobody when I was growing up like Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, give me a break. Okay. So, right. uh, so Mildred Dunnick was uh, Elizabeth Taylor's mother. But she said, if you're going to do criticism and you go to a play, she said, it's easy to pick out the flaws. She said, anybody can pick out flaws. She said, it's looking for the golden things among those flaws. So she said, before you write your review, before you start zeroing in on all the things you didn't like and all the things that were wrong, you have to tell yourself 10 things that were good about that oh, production. Oh, that's so smart. And she said, when you do that, it will temper your review. Yep. It'll shift your lens yeah, of your it perspective. Will, exactly. And Absolutely. it's true. It, it's so easy to be negative. Yes. It's so easy to be negative in anything you look at. 
So th- those kinds of advice uh, are, are very, very important and for anybody. And that's why you get, you know, like what Roger Ebert was saying is when everybody has an opinion, then nothing matters after a while. Exactly. But one of the most unfortunate things is that we don't have enough outlets in Calgary that are publishing reviews. There should, there was at one time, there were five of us reviewing in Calgary. Oh, wow. And that was wonderful. It really was wonderful because I could hardly wait to hear what the, the others yeah, said to see know? what they see exactly. what they saw that you didn't the, see, exactly. or how they saw that from a different spot in the theater, or how they saw that from a different mindset. Exactly, and that's what that was where the um, Calgary Theater Critics, uh, the the Critter Awards. That's where that was born out of that because there were so many of us, and th- those were the golden age of review in Calgary. And unfortunately, What's I think, Kyle, on the stepladder or totem pole of reviewing, theater is very low. It always is. Yeah. yeah it's very low. I mean, you've got music. Yep. Yeah, and you've got movies. Yep. And you've got television. Yep. Then comes theater. And the thing that really bothers me about that is because the first three things you named, the music, the movies, the television... Those things exist in perpetuity. They will be there for forever. And theater itself is a thing that exists in a brief moment of time. And and the fact that we don't get better top page reviews for and, things that are happening also, as they're you're happening. Right. And it's also very specific to Calgary, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I'm not reviewing theater any anymore in London or New York or Toronto or anything like that. I'm doing it right here in Calgary. And it's important that people are aware that really great things are happening in yep. Calgary. And if you're reading the news, shouldn't the news be timely? Isn't that the com- the, the composite be-all, end-all of the news, well, of reading the paper? Well, as I say, during those the golden age of reviewing, right? let me tell you, if I went to a play, I would have to sometimes phone the review in. Wow. Especially if it was one of those big visiting things right? from the Jubilee Auditorium. Yeah. You know, and the Jubilee used to let me, they gave me a room yeah. that I could rush from seeing it and phone to the city desk. And some poor guy there was Had typing to, it right as I'm, really? as I'm dictating it. From your head. From my head. Oh, yeah. And boy, the next morning I'd read it and i go, oh my God, did I say that? That is you know? one heck of a run-on sentence. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, or he misunderstood, that right. kind of thing. But that's when theater was really exciting. Yeah. Because, because you had to try and beat the other newspapers agreed but now you don't i don't have to do that no i can run it days after the fact right but i just don't see how that draws attention and eyes to the show if it's only out for eight days and uh, we see the the, show well that you know (sighs) uh, with with the high performance rodeo this time right we made a conscious decision not to review because there, they were only on for three days, right? So, uh, yeah. And which that, this is why preview nights. This is why you know open dress rehearsals to the media w- existed back in the back day. In the, they, they don't seem to exist anymore because none of the media is coming or interested in being there, which is a detriment there. And I don't feel that that's a decision that's being made by those who want to see the show and review the show. It's being made higher up. Oh, absolutely. And they don't recognize the value that live entertainment has on the lifeblood and the vitality, as you said, of a city. uh, Yes. But, you know, the other thing is, and this is something that the theater community doesn't realize, is that it's all about readership, right? It's all about the number of clicks. Yep. Okay, so newspapers, like anybody else, have somebody monitoring that. Yep. Okay, well, and all you have to do is look uh, on the Calgary Herald pages at certain stories, and you see 147 comments for an article. Right. You know, but theater people 
don't comment on the reviews. Right. Okay. And also, what they do is somebody in the group uh, will read a review and then they'll copy it. Yep. And send it to all their friends or put it on Facebook or put it on Twitter or whatever they're called these, you know, that sort of thing. Yep. So they won't take the link. They'll take the the specific wording. Yeah. And so they're not clicking on the thing. So when the publisher and looking, they're saying, well, very few people are reading theater stories. That's not true. Many people are reading. Absolutely. They're just not clicking they're reading it on facebook or they're reading it because a friend sent it to them yeah but it's the the whole idea is go there and read it on the site yep to let the 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 people who be know Right. But there's so much public funding that comes into the newspapers and so much public funding goes into the media. And I'm surprised because so much of theater is generated from public funding as well, that they're not recognizing the inherent value in propagating their own systems. Oh, totally. That they can make theater more successful, more widely attended just by giving it more media attention. They're paying for both things. Absolutely. And that that would be the solution. That would be the solution. One of the other things, and you've probably been reading the stories, I've said it a couple of times, but there's a a story on the Herald website right now from Theatre Calgary and their new $39 initiative. Right. Where every seat for every show, every performance is only $39, okay? That's amazing. Yes, and they're getting 90 to 97% uh, capacity. Wow. Yeah, 90 to 97%. So it's working. Yep. And and Stafford Arima was saying that uh, with the Christmas Carol, he, he came out and he would say at different performances, he'd say, how many of you, this is the very first time you've ever seen our Christmas Carol? He said he was blown away by the number of hands that went up. He thought it was a lot of just repeat perform. No. No. It brought them in for the first time. I, I remember the, the very first production that that worked for uh, was uh, The Mousetrap. Yep. Okay. And I, I don't know why, but I wasn't able to attend opening night of the mousetrap. So I went, uh, I think the, the Saturday or something else, but uh, it was packed to the rafters and going out and walking towards the um, elevators and in the elevators, listening to the people. And I realized not only had they never seen the mousetrap, but they hadn't seen live theater before and they were blown away they said you you know i mean this one woman was saying you could live in that house up there that they have on stage you could live in and then somebody else saying uh wow that play is over 50 years old you know and it still works it's wonderful to hear those kind of comments and what you're realizing is these people are having their first experience it won't be their last exactly and so just how do we get more new people to but, come and, and, see and these you've shows? seen that with community theater yeah people come to community theater and they go wow i only paid 25 dollars and i had such a great evening i'll come again i'm here to buy season's tickets i want to see every single one of those four yes, shows next season absolutely so yeah but that said it took several millionaires to buy, to, to make that possible for wow. Theatre Calgary. Yeah. 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 The donation of some very, very uh, wonderful people. Yeah. We're just not seeing those donations and we're not seeing that, that investment in the arts exactly. as we would like to have in Calgary. Uh, we, I, we, I had thought for a long time that with Ned Nenshi in power and with the NDP in power that we would see some of that, uh, that growth and development, but it just, it didn't come. So... <laughs> That's because they're not putting away that money. They they put it away, Kyle, for the arts. Right. But to them, movies are the arts. Yeah. 
and they do so much to encourage movies to come into Alberta. Yeah, because and they've done an exceptional, they've well, d- great incredible. job of that. Well, they've got to do the same for theater, for live theater. A million percent, Yeah, they, if they, they only could. Because what well, what's happening now is that we're losing production people. We're losing stage managers and property masters, and we're well, losing they, set they, designers. Get, they get, get work doing movies. To professional work, Absolutely. who are getting, you know, they're getting paid a salary for what they do now, as opposed to having done it for free. Yes, or or for far less pay if if they were doing it for professional theater. If it's professional theater, far less pay and more inconsistent work too. Yeah, well, uh, we saw that after COVID, a, a great number of technical people did not return to the theater. Absolutely, and, and even some actors retired because they got work elsewhere. Yeah, you know, with, with professional actors, it looks good when they're, they've got this run, but they don't go immediately from one show to, the to next, another. Right. You know, sometimes for a, a, a professional actor in Calgary, if they get two shows in the city a season, and that's not just two shows with a certain company, that's two shows with... With everybody. A, that's right. And I, I think you've seen, and it's, the theaters have to do this, they're programming smaller cast plays because they can't afford to, to have every show be seven or eight or nine people. Because they just can't afford to pay all of them and they have to put it in a smaller theater. There's a lot of reasons for it too. And it's a, it's a sad and unfortunate thing. Community theater, however, has seen a lot of growth in the last year and a half with several new production companies starting their own runs of shows, and I hope to see them successful in it, but uh, it's a very strenuous undertaking. It is. As I said, going back, way back when I used to do, when I used to have my own companies, you always, you know, you got, you had to choose something that you knew people wanted to come and see. Exactly. And I think that really is the secret now choose plays that people that you know your audience wants to come and see yeah if you did a a, a really funny comedy or a farce and it packed the houses make sure you do another one next season yep yeah yeah not to the point where you become stayed and tried in it but no you definitely yeah because then people will get tired of seeing nothing but farces This concludes the first part of my interview with Louis B. Hobson. The second part will be along shortly. If you're enjoying what we're putting out, consider joining the Patreon. We sure could use the help. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening.